dear friends, if I may, sorry to interrupt the very vibrant lunch. So I'm going to be very brief. Uh, Nicholas Borneros of Capital Inc., I simply want to thank all of you for being here and, and making this event uh, another great success. Uh, we are delighted uh, to have with us today a, a great list of presenters and uh, I think a, a great audience. Uh, this event uh, is both an industry event and an investment, uh, an investor-oriented event. So on one hand, we are discussing the developments in the various shipping markets uh, in uh, topics related to shipping, bank finance, private equity, and so on. And on the other hand, we are trying to promote, uh, to highlight the role of New York as a maritime center. So uh, in, in that respect, I think this event is quite unique. Uh, I will say my thanks, uh, first of all, to DNB that uh, is partnering with us for a second year in a row. Uh, and, you know, they have been uh, sharing the heavy lifting of this event with us. Uh, as you may have noticed, we had uh, two tracks running today. We also had a third track with one-on-one -on -one meetings. So it's been a very active day. I'd like to thank all the sponsors of the event. Uh, I will not go down the list, but I'd like to thank them all for being... Uh, very loyal uh, sponsors and uh, supporters of our event all the time. I would like to acknowledge uh, Sam Ruda, who is with us today. I was talking about exactly how we highlight the role of New York as the Maritime Center, and he's the head of business development at the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. He gave a very interesting presentation, and I think his presentation exactly showed how the Port of New York uh, ties into the global shipping community. So we're delighted to have him with us. And without taking uh, more time. Again, tremendous thanks also to my staff. Uh, we had a, another great conference in London two weeks ago, so uh, thank you to my teammates for putting another great event together today. And I'd like to invite Clay Maitland, who is the uh, uh, chairman of New York Maritime, the head orga advocacy organization that talks about New York, to share his thoughts with us. Um, and I will also close by saying that uh, Ted Jadik is going to introduce our keynote speaker. I think uh, we could not have a better keynote speaker and honoree today than John Katsipateras. He embodies, I mean, tremendous qualities. I won't go down the line, but I think he embodies exactly what this conference is all about, that we have, um, uh, you know, a major global player uh, in the shipping markets who uh, is also operating out of New York. So with him, we combine a great name, a great industry player, great track record, and a great presence in New York. So we're delighted really to have him with us. And I will uh, let Clay take over for me. Again, from my point, thank you very much. I'm, a, I'm applauding Nick, not me. Uh, thank you, Nick. Thank you, folks. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Nick and Olga, Eleni. Annie, and all your wonderful colleagues at Capital Link. And thank you, John Hatchipateras, our honored guest and speaker. Your honored guest and speaker, ours. We're all, we're all in this together at Capital Link. And congratulations. It's wonderful to see all these uh, leaders in the maritime industry here today. And John, again, uh, uh, you certainly uh, uh, deserve this accolade. Uh, NIMAR is proud to be, as, as uh, Nick said, I'm chairman of NIMAR. I have that 
good fortune, the distinction, uh, to be, uh, we're a supporting organization of this conference, as you may notice. Uh, we also um, try, as part of the maritime community, uh, and as a membership group, uh, to support the shipping ecosystem, if you will, here in New York, which includes the maritime capital markets, uh, financial services, ship brokers, ship owners, education, and a world-class port, you know, a, a remarkable port, and most important of all, of course, lawyers. Thank you all for being here. Uh, and uh, the applause is deafening. Uh, and of course, NIMAR's function, which is to raise public government, government, and global awareness of the importance of our maritime uh, infrastructure here in the greater New York area. Uh, that said, we are what we are and where we are because we here in New York, like the rest of the maritime industry, are part of a seamless global culture and business. Uh, we're not here uh, and we could not survive for more than a few days without the rest of the maritime industry in all of the other ports and centers of excellence throughout the world. Uh, we're not in competition with them. We work to reinforce and prosper because they do. Singapore's prosperity, China's prosperity, Europe's prosperity is essential not only to the port of New York, we just talked about, but it's essential to the success of all of us. So thank you again for supporting NIMAR. Uh, don't hesitate to join. I've got some membership applications. We have Sophia Ganji, who is our executive director sitting over there. Uh, she's much better at this than I am, uh, but uh, we're ready to sign you up, everybody who's not a member right now. And thank you again, Mitch, for this thank you. opportunity. Well, thank you to Clay, who's been a great uh, friend and mentor and supporter. And uh, I didn't mention uh, Andrew Zen, uh, who is the head of business development of the New York Economic Development Corporation, because he's not here at lunch today. But I wanted to mention him because it shows exactly how this conference um, represents the broader maritime uh, economy of uh, the city and the state, and of course, with heavy preponderance on the international uh, and the global shipping markets. And now I will ask uh, Ted uh, Jarek, the head of DNB uh, Capital Markets, to join us. And I'd like to thank uh, him and his team for uh, his partnership and uh, for uh, doing the heavy lifting with us. Thank you. Thank you, Nicholas. We've got lots of paper here, John, so the introduction is going to be a very long one. I'm kidding. I'm going to keep my remarks short. Yay. Um, so I just wanted to give a few thoughts about today's keynote speaker, John Hadjipateris. Uh, as we know, John is the chairman of the board and CEO of Dorian LPG, a leading LPG shipping company listed here in New York on the New York Stock Exchange. He's had a long and very distinguished career uh, in, in certainly in international shipping and, and in other pursuits. Uh, over that career, he's held a number of industry-related executive positions. I'm not going to detail them here. And as well, is very actively involved 
in a leadership capacity with a number of important charities, both based in the UK and in Greece, which are focused on working to benefit children. That career and all of those positions are obviously underscoring the commitment of the man to the industry and the recognition of, of peers. But when I thought about what I wanted to say about John Hadjipateris, uh, I really wanted to emphasize rather his very strong belief in and adherence to traditional shipping values. He spent over 40 years in the business. It is in his blood and in his genes. He believes that treating customers and employees well and with respect and providing customers with flawless, trouble-free service is the best way to build and sustain value for the company and its shareholders. He has remained true to these values while transitioning Dorian's shipping business from a privately owned one to the publicly listed company that he heads today and in the process as well significantly expanding the business. As I think we all know, shipping is a service business and one where the regulatory environment is becoming increasingly restrictive. Taking care of the customers and gaining their trust is truly a daily challenge and an increasingly difficult one. And I think that John's core business values will continue to be a positive influence on the company's performance and shareholder returns in the years ahead. So with that, it gives me great pleasure to introduce John Hadjipateris as today's luncheon keynote speaker. Thank you. kind. Thank you, Ted. I thought I'd start with a quote which illustrates that the shipping markets are not in a new normal phase. It comes from a section on cycles in Martin Stopford's book, Maritime Economics. This is it. The philanthropy of this great body of traders, the ship owners, is evidently inexhaustible. For after five years of unprofitable work, their energy is as unflagging as ever, and the amount of tonnage under construction and on order guarantees a long continuance of present low freight rates and an effectual check against increased cost of overseas carriage. Sound familiar? <laughs> the author is a London shipbroker, and the date is 1894. So in the 1800s, ship owners were already being lured by the siren calls of the shipyards. I'm guessing that would have been the case many years before as well, <clears throat> and certainly has been the case in the intervening years since. The consequence, of course, is volatility, often extreme. Here is briefly a sampling. In 1920, the new building cost to an owner for a freighter was 210,000 pounds. 
between 1924 and 1930, it averaged 48,000 pounds, a 77% drop. Recently, as everyone in this room must know, a Cape Bunker new building rose from below 40 million to more than 100 million and fell back to below 40 million in the space of roughly 10 years. Of course, this same volatility also made people a lot of money. A modern freighter bought for 6,000 pounds in 1933 sold for 54,000 pounds in 1935. The price of a Liberty ship, which was 135,000 in 1962, was $300,000 in 1963. Liberty ships, which had been built in the 40s, were still trading in the 60s. I saw Elusive Bay as an 11-year-old boy in 1961, filled with scores of ships at anchor, tied bow to stern in batches of five or six, as far as the eye could see. It was same again time, some 15 years later, after the building boom of tankers following an unstoppable expansion in the oil trade from the Middle East, which of course did stop after the oil, Arab oil embargo. The Norwegian fjords were also graced by the sights of enormous brand new tankers having sailed often empty from Japan to wait for the market to turn, which of course did turn. The cheapest VLGC purchased by Dorian's principles was an eight-year-old ship for three and a half million dollars in 1982. The best sale less than 10 years later was for a two-year younger ship for more than 30 million dollars. Owners supported by financiers, be they bankers or investors, and lured by shipyards, who in turn may be subsidized directly or indirectly, will continue to oversupply the market following periods of healthy returns, and thus beget periods of trial and misery. And those same periods of trial and misery provide the springboard for renewal. Changes aren't permanent, but change is. So much for volatility. The cycles, of course, need to be managed. First, survival, then opportunity. Navigating the cycles, however, is only part of the story. Adapting to and adopting change is the other. What are the changes and hence the opportunities which will address the challenges of today? At Dorian, we saw the universal increase in an environmental sensitivity as an opportunity and the shale revolution provided us the springboard. While my family's spring seafaring tradition dates back more than 150 years, Doran LPG was founded in 2013 <coughs> when we went through a rapid expansion, expanding 19 VLGCs. In 2014, we listed on the New York Stock Exchange and trade under the symbol LPG. We are both an owner and operator of VLGCs. LPG ships are highly engineered and exacting technical specifications are required for commercial acceptance. We provide in-house technical management for all our ships. And together with Phoenix Tankers, a subsidiary of Mitsui OSK, we manage our jointly owned Helios LPG pool from offices in Singapore and London. Our pool is the second biggest operator of VLGCs in the world and a leading provider of LPG transportation from the USA. Our own fleet has an average age of around three and a half years, the youngest in the industry. 
Our cargo LPG is a fossil fuel which is a naturally occurring byproduct of both oil and natural gas production. Its lower emissions and relatively modest infrastructure requirements position LPG to be the fuel of choice for many parts of the world. There are more than a thousand applications for LPG. Hundreds of millions of people currently use LPG and depend on it for various uses such as industrial, transportation, farming, power generation, cooking, and heating. It has unique properties that allow it to be used everywhere, and LPG is referred to as the world's most multipurpose energy. In 2016, LPG consumption increased by 3.7% compared with growth of just 1% in primary energy demand. Seaborne volumes have consistently risen over the past five years. LPG can contribute very meaningfully and directly to the well-being of people in emerging economies, as these numbers illustrate. Globally, over 3 billion people rely on biomass kerosene and coal for cooking and heating, which they typically burn in open fires and inefficient traditional stoves, often in poorly ventilated spaces. Over 4 million people die prematurely from indoor house pollution. That is more than malaria, HIV, AIDS, and TB combined. Burning wood and coal produces 150 times more carbon monoxide than LPG. LPG is highly portable, making it a convenient source of energy usable in remote places where ordinary gas supplies are unavailable or have been interrupted. In India, the Modi government declared 2016 the year of LPG consumer. Other Asian countries, including Korea, Indonesia, Vietnam, and Bangladesh, are also seeing strong growth in demand for LPG. Separately, and after many years of negotiating and wrangling among members country, member countries, the IMO made a landmark decision to implement a global cap on sulfur emissions for the maritime industry. This will come into effect in 2020, and under it, the ship, ships will have to use fuel with a sulfur content of no more than half a percent compared to currently three and a half. The new requirement can be met either by burning marine diesel, a low sulfur compliant fuel oil, or owners may elect to install scrubbers which clean the emissions. At Dorian, we built a number of our ships to be easily retrofitted with scrubbers, should we pursue this option. And we're one of the few owners today who are operating ships with scrubbers and working. We're now looking at a third option and have engaged the American Bureau of Shipping to evaluate and provide in-depth engineering analysis to assess the costs and benefits of LPG as a bunker fuel. Technology hurdles surely exist, but if the economic viability of LPG as a bunker fuel is established, we believe it could represent a significantly more attractive and cost-effective alternative to the current methods available. As one of the world's largest LPG transportation companies, we recognize our responsibility to look at ways to reduce our carbon footprint. Pursuit of sustainable goals is an opportunity. The shipping market is not homogeneous. This implies that some segments may prosper when others are performing badly. The divergence of cycles in the major shipping markets make each market unique in it with its own drivers. At face value, this is strange, as one would expect the demand in each market would be affected by overall global economic activity. This is a valid hypothesis, but it is supply that makes each market unique. The general rule is that supply, the fleet, 
today reflects expectations of demand formed two years ago. But unexpected shocks frequently cause deviation between expected and actual demand outcomes. This creates a mismatch between demand and supply that affects freight rates and asset prices, thereby differentiating the cycles of shipping markets. Applying these principles, we can discern the different prospects for the main shipping markets. I'm not going to comment today on the freight market for LPG. I believe that our ongoing commitment evidences our enthusiasm for that sector's prospects. There are headwinds that we face in the industry as a whole, despite the improvement in the macro and micro environments. In the US, the long-awaited Trump fiscal stimulus may never materialize, as the GOP has been divided on crucial policy issues in 2017. The fiscal stimulus in the EU in 2015-16, because of the influx of immigrants to the Middle East, has faded and has been supplanted by a mild contraction in 2017. The outcome of the German elections was far from desired. Angela Merkel may have to form an alliance with the FDP and the Greens to form a government, a worse combination for Europe. For Europe. And although Schäuble may no longer lead the finance ministry, his replacement, if it actually materialized by an FDP candidate, FDP can may be worse for Europe. The UK is unsure on how to proceed with Brexit. Hardliners insist on a hard Brexit, which will be a disaster. And the U.S. and the U.K. and will it for the U.K. and will adversely affect trade with Europe. The euphoria with Macron has dissipated, and he looks too small a man for uniting forces in the EU around him. Japan has, has not broken the deflationary spiral, despite the quantitative and qualitative easing of monetary policy. Inflation has increased, but the gains are due to imported inflation, with inflation remaining stubbornly low domestic. And although fiscal Tightening in Japan has been postponed for many years. It cannot be avoided in the medium and to long term. China has stimulated its economy through fiscal policy in 2017 with front loading. So Q1 was extremely strong, breaking the pattern for a weak first quarter in the dry market. The stimulus aimed at appeasing Trump and gaining confidence for a win-win strategy between the US and China is waning. That's the bad news. <laughs> but for all that and for all the challenges we have, I still believe that there's no better time and place to be a ship owner than today in New York City. Thank you. Thank you, that was a great presentation, and I think we all love the closing line. So, thank you very much. Um, I invite you all to the afternoon sessions. I think we have uh, a number of dynamite panels. The ones in the morning were dynamite as well. So now we are following with an encore, and uh, I hope you will join us this afternoon downstairs. And again, thank you to our keynote speaker, to Mr. John Hattipateras. Thank you to Ted uh, Jadik and Clay Maitland. And thank you, of course, to all of you for making this event a success.